Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's time for Tim. The Tim Weisberg Show on 1420 WBSM and streaming live on WBSM.com and the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message through the WBSM app. And now, WBSM's big gun, Tim Weisberg. Welcome back in. Hour number two of the program here on Monday. Coming up in the next hour, we'll be joined by Jax Spillane of New Bedford Light to turn on the light about a number of different local topics. But until then, it's all about you. Again, 508-996-0500 or app chat on the WBSM app to text us or open line on the WBSM app to send us in a voicemail message. And uh, again, the WBSM app is brought to you by our friends at South Coast Towing. If you want to call in but you can't remember the phone number, and we do say it a lot, but I know you're driving sometimes, you can't write it down, it's you can't dial. Because if you have the WBSM app open right there, the first button is always call us. I think that's the first button. It's one of the first buttons. That you can just press that button and it will dial us into the studio right through the app. It'll, it'll take it from the app into your phone's dialer and then you'll be making a phone call to us. So it's pretty cool. It's a, it's a pretty cool feature to make it nice and easy so that no matter what you're doing, you'll be able to interact with us. So, you, you know, there's been a lot of talk, of course, about the anniversary of the Boston Marathon bombings. Saturday was the 10th anniversary. And I've told this story before. But I'll, I'll tell it again because it kind of hammers home for me the local connection, even more so than the fact that it was Boston. But, of course, we know that Joe Karsarnayev was a student at U- UMass Dartmouth. And it still sends shivers down my spine to, to think about this. But when all of that occurred, you know, if you remember, it was a couple of days before they released information about the suspects. So the marathon happened on Monday. The bombing happened on Monday. And it was Wednesday that they released the names and likenesses of the suspects of the Sarnayev brothers. So for all day Tuesday, we didn't really have any idea. Well, back in those days, my my son was taking swimming lessons. I was still married at the time. My son was taking swimming lessons at UMass Dartmouth. And so every Tuesday evening, we would go to the UMass Dartmouth Trip Athletic Center to the pool there for him to have swim lessons from South Coast Aquatics and Dave Pont. And of course, we would be walking into the, the athletic center and there would be all UMass students all around. We would park on Ring Road and we would walk... So there was a, an area on Ring Road where we would try to park. 
a little bit between the Trip Athletic Center and the campus police headquarters so that we would get our son out from the side of the car and have him standing in the wooded area and we would walk through the wooded area down a path there into the Trip Athletic Center so that we could avoid, you know, walking on Ring Road with a, a six, seven-year-old. And that would bring us across the back end of the trip. Well, I guess it's the front end, but we'd be walking toward the pool area of the, of the Trip Athletic Center through some grass and trees. And as we're walking toward the pool area, we, there's a group of students coming toward us. And one of the students looks like, to me, my brother-in-law, my wife's brother. And I said, wow, he, he looks just like Gerard. And she's like, yeah, he does. I thought it was for a moment. Like, you know, when we just kind of laughed about it. And we went into the pool and swim lessons and didn't think much about it. So that was on Tuesday evening. On Wednesday, they released the information about the Sarnayev brothers. And the chase happened and all of that. And I'm talking to, I'm at work. I was cooking at the time. And I'm talking to my wife on the phone. I, I, I don't even think it was about that. But she's like, hey, they, they released the suspects. And one of them looks like my brother. And I was like, well, let me check. So I, I check on, you know, I think it was Channel 5's website or something on my phone. And I look and I'm like, holy crap. And she's like, what do you mean? I was like, he looks like the kid that we walked by at UMass that we thought looked like your brother. And she's oh my God, he does. And we realized, you know, as they were releasing information and you realize he's a UMass Dartmouth student, we walked right by him the day after he committed the marathon bombings. He was just walking and joking with his friends coming out of the athletic center like like nothing happened. And it's it still sends a shiver down my spine to this day every time I think about that. But anyway, just uh just wanted to to share that for anybody that hadn't heard me talk about it before. So we can continue talking about the released footage from the Incident, the May 1st, 2020 incident at the Bristol County House of Correction at the ICE Detention Center there. If you haven't seen the videos, again, all 30 of them are in the story at WBSM.com and on the app so that you can see them all for yourself. There isn't really necessarily something happening in every video, but we want you to have access to all of them rather than just posting the one. Because if we just posted the ones where something is happening, it doesn't give an accurate portrayal of what's going on the rest of the time when you see the people... Are just kind of meandering about. Some of the detainees are just kind of meandering about. But we wanted to make sure that you had access to all of them. So they're all up there. All 30. And if you don't want to watch all 30, we took the ones where there's important things happening and embedded those into the story as you're reading it. And as you're reading the comments from both current Sheriff Paul Haro and former Sheriff Tom Hodgson. So that's all up there for you as well. There's also a story up there about this incident that happened in Dartmouth on Saturday. And you heard Kate talking about it in the news. But the Dartmouth police are looking for the public's help in identifying the suspects in what they're calling a hate crime. Now, I say what they are calling a hate crime. And, you know, I use quotation marks around hate crime to quote the police saying that. Not, not to say that it's, you know, to belittle it as being a hate crime. 
But that's why the quotation marks were around it in the story, because I'm quoting the police calling it a hate crime, because for it to be a hate crime, there are certain charges that we learned about this recently with some other things that have gone on in the area. There's a process to that. There's there's a statute for that. So, but this is, I mean, this is obviously a hate crime. Somebody spray painted something onto a dumpster at the Dartmouth Basketball Complex, which is the home of the Burgo Basketball Association. The Burgo Basketball Association has been around for almost 30 years. It was started by Steve Burgo in his backyard. Now, I think most people in the community know Steve Burgo, but if you don't know who he is, he wanted his sons and his son's friends to have a place to be able to play basketball, so he built a court in his backyard, installed lights, and made it a place that people would want to come and play. So they, they started an impromptu, an informal league that turned into a real, legitimate basketball league that now draws people from all over the South Coast and even from Connecticut and other parts of New England who come and participate in this league, and it's, it's very competitive, and it's, it, it's a well-regarded league. And it serves a large number of people of color. Steve Burgo himself is a Cape Verdean man who has been recognized for his work for the Cape Verdean community. He has been given awards for that. And now while the Dartmouth police did not say in a press release what was spray-painted on the dumpster, when somebody asked about it in a Facebook comment under their Facebook page, the police responded that it was a, quote, disgusting racial term. So somebody is spray-painting a racial term at the basketball complex that is run by a Cape... Because the Burgo Basketball Association oversees those courts. Someone spray-painted a racist term on the dumpster of the basketball courts run by a Cape Verdean man that serves a large number of people of color. So it was... I would think that whoever did it knew what they were doing. And it's not just knucklehead kids spray-painting that they think will will get attention. You know, so many times... We see people, you know, spray painting swastikas and putting like Nazi words on in graffiti and people are like, well, that's, you know, there's, there's probably a hate group that's doing that. No, it's probably just dumb kids who are trying to put something shocking. It's still a problem. And it still shows that we need to, to show that those types of, that type of imagery and, and language is not okay but they're usually just stupid kids trying to get attention, trying to shock people. And I say that as somebody who, you know, will always rail against anti-Semitism. I just don't think that it's always anti-Semitism intended. It is anti-Semitic, but I don't think that they were necessarily hate-filled toward Jews when they did it. They were just idiots. But when you're spraying painting a racial term at a basketball complex that is famously run by a great Cape Verdean member of the community, it's a little bit hard to play the ignorance card and say, oh, I was just trying to be shocking. No. 
you were being racist and you you committed a hate crime. So the police are looking for anybody that may have some footage of that. Any information you may have of it, any surveillance video you may have of it, anybody that you saw walking around that didn't belong. And this was reported at 5 p.m. on Saturday. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it happened then. That's when it was discovered. But still, you know, if you have some home security cameras and you live in the area, maybe check those out. If you have a ring camera, maybe check that out and see what you can find about it. But just a, a, a horrible thing to do. Toward, and, and I don't think that it was necessarily targeted toward them. Again, I don't know because they're not revealing the nature of the inscription that was spray painted and understandably so you don't want to give it any you don't want to give it any air because that's just going to inspire stupid copycats but I would assume that you know and again I haven't talked to him but I would assume that Steve is taking this you know somewhat personally because all he's tried to do over the course of the last 30 years is something nice. And he's dedicated a lot of his life to running things and raised a lot of money to be able to supply kids with the opportunity to play competitive basketball in a league that has become the envy of other leagues. And then somebody goes and does something like this. 508-996-0500 if you want to call in and chime in on that or whatever else is on your mind. I'm going to take my first break of the hour. We'll be back in a few moments. Anybody named Leah, you've got uh, Donnie Iris to thank for a pretty pretty badass song named after you. 508-996-0500 if you want to call in and discuss any of the topics that we have on the table or anything else. We were talking about the videos that were released of the incident at the Bristol County Sheriff's Office's ICE Detention Center back on May 1st of 2020. All 30 videos available for you to see at WBSM.com on the app and on our YouTube channel. And then I was talking about this uh, alleged hate crime in Dartmouth that uh, the police are seeking more, uh, seeking the public's assistance in locating the suspects on. And uh, the other thing that I had mentioned was that this past Saturday on Spooky South Coast, we, we had a discussion that went in a different direction than I thought we would discuss going into, into the show. 
So it was Saturday night. I knew I was going to talk about the topic of the conjuring house. And so what happened was they put out a post saying, hey, we had a cancellation for Friday night. Now, if you're not familiar, this is the house in Harrisville, Rhode Island, the farmhouse that the movie The Conjuring is based on. This is where the Perrin family endured paranormal activity for 10 years and they turned it into the horror film The Conjuring, which is turning 10 years old this year. So the house is now owned by a woman named Jacqueline Nunez who allows people to come and conduct paranormal investigations there for a fee. She rents out the house to them for the night and this is how she makes back the almost $2 million that she spent on it. So the idea here is that people can pay to spend the night and and have the place to themselves more or less. So she every once in a while will put up a special deal because there might be a cancellation or something. The house is booked. Pretty much all the nights that people would want, Friday nights, Saturday nights, even Sunday nights, the house is booked all through the rest of 2023. You can probably get in there on a weeknight if you were looking to do something. And, of course, they have tours that you can take and all of that. But she put up a post, the house put up a post on its Facebook page Thursday that they had a cancellation of somebody that was supposed to come and do something on Friday. And so they were going to offer the house at half price for or a discounted price for anybody that wanted to come and investigate it. So if you were going to rent out the house, it was, I don't know what the numbers were. I think it was like 600 bucks for up to eight people, which is less than what it would normally cost. And for the most part, people in the paranormal would jump at this because you're going to spend less than $100 to get to spend, you know, whatever it is, five, eight hours in the Conjuring house. So I just have, I just happen to share the post because I know a lot of people that would be interested in taking advantage of that deal. People that want to get into that place, but, you know, normally can't afford it. So I shared it out to try to help the house and to try to help my friends that might want to go there. And the post kind of got hijacked by people complaining because it says that the special offer of the discount is not available if you have a social media following of 15,000 people or more. And what that is is because content creators, influencers, people who make YouTube videos, TikTok videos, Instagram videos, and monetize them for money, she didn't want them to have the discounted rate because they're, it's a commercial venture for them. The same reason why if I had called her up and said, hey, Jacqueline, I saw that you have a, a discounted rate. I want to grab that and then sell some tickets. And then I turn around and I make, you know, profit off her offering the discounted rate. You know, I understand why you want to say it's not available if it's being used for a commercial purpose. But people get all up in arms about that. So we were going to discuss it on the program and Jacqueline actually reached out to me beforehand and said, you know, I'd like to come on and, uh, and share my reasoning and, and defend my, my stance on it. And so we had her on and I thought she made a lot of great points. You know, I already supported her outlook on it anyway, because as somebody who runs events at these places, I've encountered that many times where I've tried to rent a place and I look online and the the rental is X amount of dollars for you to go and rent the place out for the night. And then when I talk to them about it, it's more for me. 
And they say, well, because you're, you know, you're doing it for profit. Now, I don't really make a lot of profit off these things because we try to keep tickets affordable and it's really about getting people into places and helping those places raise money. But I also understand why I might have to pay a little bit more for that reason. And it's fine by me. It's their place. They bought it. They can decide what it is. And I know, I know it's funny because here I am, the guy talking about, you know, well, landlords shouldn't be able to just raise their rents to whatever they want to raise it to. They've got to keep people in mind and what they can afford and all that. And people are like, oh, it's, it's capitalism. They can charge whatever they want. They bought the place. This is a different situation. This is not somebody's permanent living situation. This is them renting out a place for the night for the purpose of paranormal investigation or content creation or whatever it is they're doing. We got some great phone calls over the course of Saturday night from people on this issue. And, uh, and certainly it's something that has drawn a lot of attention within the paranormal world, within the Heritage Museum world, because there are other places that, that do this all the time, where if you want to go and take a tour of a historic building, it'll be X amount of dollars. If you want to rent it out for, you know, your nonprofit organization to hold a, a special event there, it'll be another price. But if you want to open it up and, you know, do a, a a catered dinner where you're charging people to come in and eat or something, that's going to be a different price. And it's like this in the whole, in the rest of the world. So I don't know why the paranormal people had such a problem with it. It was, it was really interesting to me to hear, uh, to read people's reactions to it. I think some of it is there's a former employee who is, you know, a little bit upset about how things went down. And so he's kind of leading the charge against this. But some of the social influencers were like, yeah, why should we have to pay more? And I've talked to some of my friends who are social media influencers and I've had to explain to them, well, because everything that you do, you turn into revenue. You're not going to go there and just investigate and not turn on the camera and go live. You're not going to record a video that you're going to post up later and, and, and make money off of. Everything that you do is a commercial venture. And I, I would expect that you would realize that. And it, it kind of just goes back to the sense of entitlement that some of these influencers have, these content creators have. Like just because you've got, even, even if you've got 50 million people that are following you and that care what you're doing, I guarantee you there's 50 million people that don't, if not way more than that, that don't care what you're doing. So it's the, the world isn't going to bend over for, for you and your, your, uh, your following and, and, and bow to you. So uh, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a new issue that really has only kind of popped up in the last few years as there has been the emergence of these influencer content creators. For many years, it was just... Well, what are you coming here for? Are you coming here with your friends and your paranormal team? Or are you coming here to run an event and make money? You know, now you've got this in-between that, that makes it a little bit stranger. And we actually, I actually posed the question to Jacqueline, the owner of The Conjuring House, and said, well, what if I had, you know, 50 million followers and I wanted to go and investigate and spend the night there, but it was just going to be me and my friends doing it and I wasn't going to put it out on social media? Would I be able to get the discounted rate or would I have to pay the, the higher 
social influence rate. She's like, no, I would totally, you know, be open to negotiating in that situation and saying, you know, you'd, you'd pay the regular rate because you're not utilizing it as a way to, to make revenue for yourself. And what's funny is people, the content creators argue, well, you know, we're putting you on the map and, and, and people wouldn't be coming here if they weren't watching our videos. To that, I counter, they had a Hollywood movie made about the house that's going to reach far more people than your content ever will. So it's not like it's a run-of-the-mill, allegedly haunted place. This is the Conjuring House. I would put it on a top five of real-life, allegedly haunted locations that people just know about without needing anything from you. You've got the Amityville House. You've got the Lizzie Borden House. You've got the Conjuring House. And I don't know what else I would put in that. Maybe the Stanley Hotel. Maybe, maybe Waverly Hills Sanatorium. But for the most part, the Conjuring House is doing just fine on its own. Anyway, 508-996-0500. Just wanted to fill you in on that since some of the conversation uh, last Friday had to do with that. I wanted you to be aware of it. Also, make you aware of, too, that there's no trash pickup in New Bedford today. So hopefully you didn't put it out today, but that you'll remember to put it out tomorrow because today is a holiday. It's Patriots Day. It's Marathon Monday. I know because the marathon is on the TV right here in front of me here. And uh, let's see. We have um, uh, right now in the lead is Kipchoge, a Kenyan. Uh, M. Courier from Kenya. And Bile from Ethiopia. That's, that's your men's top three right now as, uh, as they are running... Not sure where they are right now. They are in Wellesley. Oh, I like this. I like that uh, the broadcast, I'm looking at Channel 5, which is the ESPN broadcast, I guess. It, it They actually have the tracker on the screen. They show you who the top 10 men are on the screen, and they have the little like tracker showing where they are. So right now they're at the halfway point, it looks like. They're, uh, they're, they're just left Natick, and they're entering into Wellesley. And it uh, looks like they're about halfway through. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. I have it on in the background. That's what I mean by I'll keep an eye on it. I just, I don't care about running. It doesn't, it doesn't catch my attention like other sports do. I know, I know. You're probably saying, well, it's because look at you, Weisberg. The only thing you run to is the table, but I just don't, I don't find it interesting. Not long distance running. But there's a, a solid pack of about, about, well, looks like the men's top 10 are kind of all right there, right there together. All right, 508-996-0500. Why don't I take my break? We'll be back in a few moments.
Monday for you because it's a little bit of a gray Monday. But that's all right. We try to lighten it up with some interesting talk here and your phone calls at 508-996-0500. Coming up, we will be joined by Jack Spillane in the next hour of New Bedford Light. We will be turning on the light and we will talk about, amongst other things, the column that he wrote last week in which he looked at the requirements for rooming houses in the city to have sprinkler systems put in and that it doesn't seem like there's been real enforcement of the sprinkler laws in the tenement neighborhoods. So he wrote an article, of course, this is because the Royal Crown Rooming House uh, was supposed to have sprinklers. It was in the process, as Mayor Mitchell told us, that in February they had pulled the permits to be able to install the system, but that they'd had a number of years to get that done and still hadn't done it. So it's, you know, Jack kind of looked at the way that they're letting some of this slide. And so he's calling on more enforcement of that, and he talked with the mayor about it. And we'll, we'll get more insight from Jack when he comes in and joins us in the next hour. But we also heard, you know, the mayor, when he was here with us, said, no, there weren't any fire violations, that things were, things were on the up and up, that this was a cooking accident, and that, you know, th- things were in place that should have been in place. But the New Bedford Light reporting said, you know, that's, that's not necessarily the case. And the mayor actually came in and refuted. He said, you know, some of the places that are reporting are reporting things that aren't entirely accurate. So we'll talk with Jack about it. We'll talk, talk with him about the conversations that he had with the mayor. And uh, we'll take your phone calls on it as well. Right now, we'll take your phone calls at 508-996-0500. Good morning. You are next on WBSM. Hi, Tim. How are you? <clears throat> I'm fine. Uh, except a little post-nasal drip, you know, from the weather. Sure, um, yeah. <clears throat> Saturday, I talked to Ken, and he had a caller that said he had a problem quitting smoking. And uh, I've got a few things here that he could try. And uh, start out, but I think I read this to you already. You have, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, I want to tell him how I quit, and how I got a lot of my customers to quit. First of all, do not tell a soul, just you, and just you and God has to know that. Because your friends or wife will say, if you light one up, you know, I knew you couldn't do it. Keep the cigarettes in your glove compartment at home, and keep them in a drawer, uh, keep them in the drawer, keep them in the glove compartment. And if you want to have one, do it. But don't tell anyone. And get back on track as soon as you can. What happens if you tell someone, they they, they throw it in your face, I told you you couldn't do it. So <clears throat> I never tell anybody. And... Uh, I didn't know I was smart as I was, but what I was basically doing is I was weaning myself off of them Mm -hmm. because I was too lazy to get up and go and get one out of the, from the draw. Well, we'll 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 say, we'll say you were too tired, Bob. You were too tired to get up and get one. Uh, that too. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing is, the thing is, uh, if you keep them away from uh, yourself and, uh, 
and uh, not easy to get to. You have to make an effort to get to it. That don't get you to wean them, wean yourself off of them. That's how I did it, anyway. And I got a lot of customers to do it that way, and and they they got it done, and they sure. tried everything. And then, so would you, so if you did, if you did give in and got to the point where, you know, maybe you had one and then you waited yeah. a little while and then you might have had another one and then yeah. eventually that pack runs out, would you buy another pack or would you yeah. just at that point say, I'm not even going to get another one? Well, after a while, I didn't have, I didn't smoke at all, but <clears throat> sometimes on a Friday night, my friends and I would go to a, a local tavern there and have a few brews and, uh. We would play bump pool and shuffleboard and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And they were making the cigarettes look like steak sandwiches. And I hadn't had one for a couple of weeks or something. So I, I borrow one. And before you know it, I was going to the machine and, uh, buying a pack. And they were only 25 cents a pack at the time. So anyway, I quit the cigarettes when they were 25 cents. Look at all the money I think you it was saved. 1964. <laughs> you saved a lot of money since then. I saved a lot of money, and I saved my my health because they killed my father. He was only 62 when he got cancer, and I had so many customers that had terrible uh, cancer problems from cigarettes. Mm -hmm. I had one customer that had it in the palate of the mouth, another one that had it in the gums, and I gone forever. Yeah, my, my both my grandparents passed away from either cancer, you know, they had emphysema. So, yeah, yeah, it was it was tough watching them. And they would just sit at, you know, my grandfather sat in his chair in the living room. My grandmother sat at the dining room table. And they both just chain smoked all day. It was yeah. uh, sad to see. I got to hold you there, Bob, just because I got some other calls to squeeze That's in. Fine. But thank That's you for fine. sharing. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. And um, 508-996-0500. Good morning. You are on WBSM. Yeah, hi. Good morning, Tim. This is Mike. How are you? Good. How you doing? Good. The uh, only reason I'm calling is uh, to share a quick story with you. The uh, This being uh, the Boston Marathon, my wife and I, 10 years ago, were on our way to uh, Logan Airport. We were fortunate enough to um, to go to Europe, and uh, our flight was at 7 p.m. On, uh, on on this day, 10 years ago, well, uh, on the, the marathon day. And um, on the way there in the limo, my son called, and he said, Dad, you know, did you hear what was going on? going on and at that point we had not that was probably about three in the afternoon but uh long story short tim we uh we, we got to the airport our flight was scheduled for seven uh it was a there was a slight delay we didn't get out till seven thirty. but uh, i can't believe that we got out yeah there were people there were people on the flight that still had their uh boston marathon jerseys i can't imagine getting on a on a flight like that after running 26 miles but uh, but anyway, we were able to get out, and then of course when at, when we landed in in Europe uh, all week, you, you know, we were just getting the information of what was going on around here. But uh, anyway, just well, did, wanted to share uh, that story. Thank you for getting out. I got to ask you: Did you have trepidation about getting on an airplane, knowing that there had just been, you know, what people were assuming was a terrorist attack already? Well, we knew so little about it, Tim. That um, no, I can't say. I can't say that was any concern because, again, it, it all just happened, and, and what very little news uh, we had was from my son, and we had probably had a drink at the bar, and, of course, they had it on TV. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but no, I, I can't say, although, although uh, I, there were some, there were some uh, folks on there 
from different countries, and I kind of kept an eye on them. But uh, uh, we had no problem, thank God. All right. Well, thank you for calling in, and thank you for sharing. You bet. Take care. Have a good day. And uh, we, we do have to take our final break of the hour. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Jim. All right. Welcome back in. So when I was out traveling around yesterday with Stephanie and Scott, and we were filming some content, we got hungry for dinner. And where did we stop? Barrels and boards in Raynham. And, uh, and of course, I had the King Burger. Love the King Burger. Got to get that every time I go there. But we also stopped into the marketplace, the Barrels and Boards Marketplace right next door. I grabbed myself some dessert over there. I got a Montilio's Cupcake, a cannoli cupcake, which was super good. Uh, so that was uh, what I you know, treated myself to. But I was also taking a look at some of the deals that they have there for you this week, including how about getting yourself a tomahawk steak for $20.99 a pound, steak tips, $14.99 a pound, in various flavors like honey bourbon, whiskey barbecue, garlic and herb marinated. You can get candied bacon skewers, $1.75 each. Boneless ribeye, $18.99 a pound, and it was beautiful, let me tell you. So was the New York Strip at $16.99 a pound. You can also get filet mignon, $26.99. You can get the bistro filet, $13.99. So much great stuff right there. And, of course, if you want some seafood, they've got that as well. It's all right there for you at the Barrels and Boards Marketplace, Route 138 in Raynham. Check them out online at barrelsandboardsma.com. That's barrels. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.